Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Merry Christmas. And we are just about ready to start worship. So if you're able, we ask that you stand to your feet and sing along with us. Set the night wind to the little land. Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little land. Do you see what I see? A star, a star. A thrill of hope 
pray with me. Our Father, we praise you this morning for who you are, not only loving, but you are love and unchanging, so your love never weakens or fades. You are holy and just. Thank you that you have come to us, our very present help, and for your promise, I am with you always, not only with us, but in us, you are living and active in us by your spirit. Thank you that you are cleansing us from within where we need cleansing most. 
you who are love are inside us, where we most need love to be. Thank you that your spirit in us is not fearful. You are a spirit of power in us and of love and a sound mind. Because we are in you, we have all that we need. Because you are in us, we have all that we need. When you see sin in us that needs to be confessed and given up, tell us about it. And thank you for your promise to forgive, no matter what it is. And when you come upon fear in us, remind us to turn from it and let it go. Fear has no place alongside you. We praise you as the one who is ruling. We pray for wisdom for our leaders and for your peace in Israel and Ukraine. May the knowledge of you spread because we reflect you and not ourselves to those around us. We thank you for Steve, for our church staff and board. We ask for them your encouragement, endurance, and protection, and blessing, and joy. You promised to come to us, and you have. Our rescue from sin, thank you. We praise you as the Holy One. All wisdom and power and glory are yours alone. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If this is your first time joining us for our worship service, we're so glad that you're here. If you're looking to get connected with the church, we encourage you to fill out a connect card so we can get to know you. If you have anyone in your life who is in need of prayer, please fill out a prayer card or visit our website at ljcc.org prayer. On your way out, you can drop these cards off in the foyer or the box mounted on the wall. Join us on Christmas Eve as we celebrate the humble and magnificent birth of Jesus. The candlelight service will take place on Sunday, December 24th at 4.30 p.m. Enjoy treats before and after the service, hear a message from Pastor Steve, and worship the Lord with Christmas songs. We hope to see you there. As you may have already heard, amazing things are happening here at LJCC. As of January 1st, 2024, Grace City will become responsible for the management and leadership of this campus and preschool. As LJCC comes to a close, we are hopeful for what God is going to do here as we pass the baton to Grace City. For more information regarding this campus transfer, please scan the QR code or visit our website at ljcc.org. You know, every time Mariah Carey gets up to sing a holy night, she has to tell everybody, look, it's, I know it's not Deneen, but fine. I'll do my best. That song is powerful, isn't it? To me, that song kind of captures, uh, not just in the content of the words and the beauty of the music, but the, the very manner in which it came to be, uh, it, it captures the gospel. Uh, the, the, the melody was written by a Jewish composer. A beautiful melody, and somebody in, in this French village said, well, you know, we need words for this beautiful piece of music. So they asked uh, the local poet, who's also the local wine merchant, who was an atheist. So the melody was composed by a Jewish man, and the, the, the lyrics were written by an atheist. This is how Jesus works. This is the gospel. Now, the funny thing, in an odd way, and not odd, it's kind of how we are as a church. We, get, we freak out too easily over things. The, the church, this is 1845. So when it was first introduced into the church, there was a big controversy because people said, there's no way we're going to sing this song. It was written by a Jewish composer and the lyrics are by an atheistic um, guy. I'm thinking God must have been shaking his head going, oh my gosh, oh I am gosh. You know, <laughs> you know do you people not understand what I've come to do? I want to show you a slide. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. What do you make of that phrase? If you were here a few weeks ago, you already know. Uh, maybe you see this. Here's another version of it. Perhaps that's what you see. That's usually the first thing people see when they look at that line of letters. And how about this? This is where it lands. You know, this is what O Holy Night tells us. God came 
to fulfill what he promised the Jews and that every person he doesn't believe needs. It's pretty much wrapped up pretty nicely in this song, isn't it? Uh, we'll be, we'll be um, enjoying that song on Christmas Eve. This place will be filled with candlelight, uh, partly because we'll have lit candles, but it'll be lit with the glory of God. And that's where we're going today. We're talking about uh, the absolute, unmitigated, uh, unique, one-of-a-kind uh, righteousness of God. And, and I'm using the word holiness. The holiness and the goodness uh, of God. Um, any of you who are sports fans know that Jaden Daniels won the, he uh, the Heisman Trophy. Uh, he was uh, awarded that yesterday. Anybody know what the Heisman Trophy is? Yeah. It's an award given, but it's not the best player, the most valuable player, the only great player, the most outstanding player. It's, it's given to an outstanding player who has pursued excellence with integrity. There are so many amazing athletes out there. That, that tagline, excellence with integrity, discounted about 98% of them. Uh, I don't watch much football. Janet's a better sports fan than I am. But um, when we're watching, as soon as there's a penalty, Janet always turns to me and says, holding offense. <laughs> it's almost always holding by the offense. Uh, I always suggest in most tight situations in football games an onside kick. I'm always wrong. 99.9% uh, .9 of the time I'm wrong. Janet is always right. It's, it's offense holding. Uh, it's, a, it's a crazy uh, situation. Um, to pursue sports uh, with, ac with, with excellence and integrity is sort of a novel thing. That's why the Downtown Athletic Club of New York in 1935 started the Heisman Trophy. Hey, let's clean up this place a little bit. And it's named after uh, Heisman, who was the uh, director of the Downtown Athletic Club. And you think about it, I mean, uh, pursuing excellence with integrity. I've only ever known one Heisman Trophy um, winner. And I won't say his name, uh, but Charles White was an amazing guy. And uh, he was an All-American football player from USC, won the Heisman Trophy, and immediately went into this tailspin of serious uh, drug abuse, uh, just, you know, partying hard and uh, became addicted to cocaine, came out of rehab. So we invited him to come down and speak to a bunch of young athletes in Newport Beach, a bunch of young football players from Newport Harbor High and Corona Del Mar High School. And it was powerful. It's just powerful because what he saw in, in, in that award from the Heisman Trophy was an affirmation of everything good and right. And he had taken some bad turns. He had become full of himself. And he had to, he had to regain that sense of who he was. And he said, um, I, I always travel with two ladies now. And all the guys were like. <laughs> he said, yep, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely, goodness and mercy. I thought, well, maybe it was three women. Surely, goodness and mercy uh, shall follow me all the days of my life. But what he had done is regained a sense of righteousness, of holiness, and integrity, and excellence. And you could argue, well, his story was even better having gone through that horrible valley of death. But no, he didn't need to go through that. But he did go through that. And this is the world God has come into. God is now here. One of the beautiful things about that Heisman ceremony yesterday was to hear the families talk about their, their love and devotion to Jesus. And I realize it's always an iffy thing when athletes start thanking God and we won and the Christian on the other side goes, where was God for us today? You know? But what was neat was neat. They, they didn't say, we're here because of this. They're, they said, because of him, we're good wherever we are, basically, because we travel with him. God is now here, and we are in him. One of the things we do, we've, we've tried to do uh, over the years, is to uh, put all these pieces together so we understand what it means that God is now here. Um, how many of you do puzzles during the holidays? I'm just curious. How many of you have a puzzle going dur during the holidays? Okay, the rest of you don't need to get a puzzle going during the holidays. Um, I'm not a huge puzzle person, but I, I'm surrounded by 
the equivalent of Shirley Goodness and Mercy, Janet and Lorna Megan uh, are like ninjas when it comes to puzzles. So I always add one piece and then make a big deal about it, point to it, and you know, make, make sure they all know that. And I'll pretty much say, you guys can take it from there and wrap it up, because that was the piece that... But what's neat about that process of doing a puzzle, you know, especially these thousand-piece puzzles, which I don't, under, I don't understand why a person would even want to do a thousand. I'm, like, good at about the 10 or 15 pieces, so I'm good at about the preschool age. But what's really neat is when you're working on all, you know, all this color and patterns and things, and they're so devious the way they do puzzles, aren't they? Everything has the same color in a stripe or whatever, and, you know, you're all over the map. But what's neat is when you're working on that, some section, all of a sudden you go, oh, Ah, I see where it fits. And so you, if you've been working on it over here, you slide it over, or you turn it this way. And you, oh, it's this moment. It's this moment you go, oh, my gosh, the puzzle's coming together. And uh, that's what the gospel is for us. It's all this is coming together, and that's why we say read the Old and New Testament together. Read the Bible that Jesus read. <laughs> we call the Old Testament the Tanakh, the Torah, the law. Uh, the Nevi'im, the, um, uh, the, the prophets, the Ketuvim, the writings. That was Jesus' Bible. And then read the Bible that Jesus has continued to write in the hearts of his people. Uh, we call that the New Testament. We're going we're gonna to do that a little bit today. Uh, we want to put some of the puzzle pieces together. There'll be a lot of scripture, um, but think of them as pieces in the puzzle that we're putting. Oh, okay, that's how it goes. You start with the outline, and then you fill it in, right? Okay, so this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. After Joseph freaked out, and because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, in, in these Jewish marriages, they were... They were um, betrothed, hadn't consummated the marriage, but if they wanted to break off the betrothal, it was the equivalent of a divorce. A little bit different than when we do it. We live in a time now where people want to be sure it's going to work out right, so they, they live together for 10 years and have four kids, and finally they get married. That's how it works in Scandinavia and now in our country. Um, why? It, on one hand, it could be judgmental, say, oh my gosh, you know, what they're trying to do is to get it right. We all want to get it right. And here's Joseph, who definitely wants to get it right. He's grown up on the Tanakh. He understands the integrity of marriage, and now he is just dumbfounded. Because there's no category that explains this, Mary being Mary. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So far, so good. This last, this next paragraph kind of throws people for a loop. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew's taking particular care to be sure that anybody reading this understands what Emmanuel means. He's making a point. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, the, the conundrum here is, is often people read this and say, it's kind of a running joke in my life group. You know, we get to these passages every year, we read, read them, and somebody goes, okay, wait, help me here. He should be called Emmanuel, so they named him Jesus. Was, did somebody miss something in the translation of the message? Well, no, he is called Emmanuel. God is with us. God is now here. And it's the God who is now here has come to save his people. And so he was named Jesus. See the beauty of that? It's all coming together. The puzzle pieces start to fit. So Jesus is living proof that God is with us, God is for us, and God is redeeming the world he created. That's a pretty good summary. I summarized the gospel a couple weeks ago. I said, you know, the gospel isn't you can be saved and here's how. That's a result of the gospel. The gospel is not you can be saved and here's how. Everybody in a cult says that. Everybody in a false uh, ideology, 
uh, says that, I'll show you. Yeah, I can tell you how to be saved. Here's how. The gospel is that God's promise to Abraham through Israel is fulfilled in Jesus. And he includes us in that fulfillment. You can be saved. Here's how. You receive Jesus, the Emmanuel, who has come to save us. And so let's talk a little bit about who he is. <clears throat> Two passages, one out of Colossians, a letter to a town, Colossae, in what we now know as Turkey, and a letter um, called the Hebrews, written by somebody who is a masterful um, authority on, on uh, Old Testament, and now is helping the, the, the church understand what's going on. And so Colossians and Hebrews. So Colossians 1, 15, 17 says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God's like? Look at the Son. You want to know what the Son looks like? Look at God. The firstborn over all creation. Firstborn doesn't mean he was created. It's, it's, it's the primogenitor word. The first over all. You know, in, in, in British society, this is true in lots of cultures, the firstborn inherits everything. The second um, becomes a soldier, and the third becomes a, a minister, a priest. That's the way he worked in England. He's the firstborn, meaning he is over all. He has the supremacy. A better way for us to think it, because firstborn in our language makes it sound like he was born. This is what the council at Nicaea worked out. No, and he wasn't born. The Apostles' Creed, same thing. He, all things were created through him. So we see this. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the mystery of physics solved in Colossians 1, 15 to 17. The strong force, the weak force, gravity, electromagnetism, all these other forces that we're, we're, we're pondering over, they all come together in him. Now, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. In the past, God spoke to our, our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, most recently, he has spoken to us by his son, in whom he appointed heir, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Apparently, he's pretty well qualified to come into the world that he created. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. One of the early controversies in the church resolved in the 4th century, 325 or whatever, in Nicaea, was this notion that, well, is Jesus like God or is he God? And it's a great phrase, all depending on one iota, one eye. You've heard that phrase, it doesn't matter one iota, well, it comes from this. Was he homoousian, like God, or was he homoousian, the same as God? Am I getting this right, Costa? We have a Greek authority sitting right here. And his name proves it, Constantine Georgiakakos. <laughs> Amazing. And the church wrestled with this. And you know, for a long time, uh, the church was back and forth on, is Jesus sort of like God? He's really special, or is he God? And it was resolved. In the Nicene Creed, he is homoousian, the exact representation. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, ah, oh, there's that holiness injecting itself, the, the, the quality of righteousness, the, the, the excellence and integrity of Jesus the Savior comes to the fore here. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. But why does he inject this thing about angels? Because that was the, the highest spiritual being anybody had ever actually seen face to face. You know, Mary is approached by an angel, Elizabeth is approached by an angel, an angel speaks to Joseph in a dream. These spiritual beings um, were the highest you could imagine, and they're fearsome. We think of these little, you know, putti, you know, these little um, uh, pre-Raphaelite, or no, post-Raphaelite, uh, little, little angels, little dumplings in the sky with the small wings. 
you know, they're the angelic equivalent of, you know, the arms on a Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, kind of like not really intimidating. Um, and so those are what we think of as angels. Why does every angel who shows up have to start with, not my name is Biff, you know, or whatever, it's don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's, I, I've come with great news. Why? They're fearsome. And so the writer of Hebrews is making the point, if you think angels are impressive, you ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus is superior to the angels because they were created through him. Whoa, okay. Years ago, I had a professor, and he um, had decided to teach it at Fuller Seminary rather than he was offered a, a job at Stanford and at UCLA. He said, no, I, I want to I integrate my faith in my work as an academic. He's a brilliant guy. But he would teach graduate students at UCLA. He had his young daughter was struggling in, with her homework, and he he's trying to help her. She goes, "Dad, you don't even know. You don't know what my teacher knows. My teacher says it this way." She goes, "Honey, I think your teacher meant for the, Dad. You don't even know." And the dad is completely perplexed. He's got you know a PhD. He's a world authority on all kinds of things, and he's just stymied. He's thinking about. It. He goes, "Oh my gosh!" Ah, next day, honey. I want to try to help you. Dad, I said, you don't know. My teacher knows. I want to explain something to you. Do you know that your teacher is, is going to UCLA to get a master's degree? Yes. Very impressive. Well, honey, I'm her teacher. <laughs> I'm her professor. Oh, no. Yes, that's what I do. That's what I do. And I leave here after we have a bowl of cereal in the morning, drop you off at school. I go to UCLA and, I, and Fuller, and I teach people who are going to teach people. See, the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is big. This is very big. And so the writer of Hebrews wants us to see the magnificence of this. So Jesus' cradle and cross, his cradle and his cross, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his promised return, assures us that a new world is in the making. We're in that new world that's being remade right now. God's holiness and goodness is revealed in Jesus Christ and made available to us. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus has done. And here's the good news. You can be saved, and here's how. I love the way the writer of, uh, well, presumably Moses, writes in Exodus 15, 11, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. This is the first time we see the word holiness introduced into the word of God. Kadosh. You know, in Greek it's hagios. What uh, was once a great you know, uh, church in, in uh, what now is Istanbul. Hagia Sophia, holy knowledge. Hagios. But it comes from kadosh. It's the exact equivalent to kadosh. The holiness of God. We're, we're very uncomfortable with the word holiness because it sounds comparative and it sounds dismissive. Somebody's holy, you're not, kind of a thing. But God is holy. And, and really, it, it, to put it in proper terms, if you're a parent or grandparent trying to influence your kids, you want to move them not toward happiness but to holiness. Happiness might not produce holiness. Holiness will produce happiness. We use other words because holiness is just so heavily weighted and freighted with meanings that don't necessarily aren't very helpful. But um, this is powerful. God's holiness and goodness is revealed in Jesus Christ. Scripture describes God's unfailing love, power, majesty, righteousness, goodness. But it's not merely a pileup of adjectives or some version of hyperbole. It's not unsupported claims. Easy to make unsupported claims. Watching that Heisman ceremony yesterday, they document everything. And they don't just say statistically, this, 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 this. Because statistics, you know, uh, people, uh, statistics don't lie, but people can lie with statistics. Trust every researcher who brings forth statistics, but verify their work. This is not unsupported hyperbole. God's goodness and holiness is documented in his words, in his deeds, in his character, and in his impact. 
This is what's so profoundly persuasive about Jesus. His words and deeds are perfectly integrated. Pursuing act, you know, excellence with integrity, perfectly integrated. A, a psychologist would say he was perfectly congruent. His inner world and his outer world were both aligned. So let's look at the Christmas story in the context of God's holiness and goodness. I hope some pieces of the puzzle are coming together for you. The, the context, the outline, and then some of the, the, the detail. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. <gasps> hey, we know where the glory of the Lord comes from, don't we? The radiance of God. It's the glory of God that shone around them. Not define the laws of optics, but the larger context for the for the whole notion of what makes light, light. And they were terrified. And we know why, right? We, know, we understand angels now. But the angel said to them, I'm, no. He said, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so the angel appears, illuminated by the glorious holiness of God, and they are naturally, unapologetically terrified. And then a great company of the heavenly host appears before God, before them praising God. It's like somebody just torn a seam in time and space, and all of a sudden we're getting a glimpse into the heavenly things, and it's mind-boggling for these shepherds. I know a guy that you, and it's become kind of a, a, a joke. I think he's actually accepted it as kind of a funny thing he does. You cannot talk to him or introduce him to anybody. Anybody who knows him, you'll say, what was the first thing he said to you? In the, in, what would he say in the first five minutes of when you talked to him? He said he went to Princeton. Every time this guy talks about anybody, anywhere, to, about anything, he mentions that he went to Princeton. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's become kind of a joke. Um, because it's like, okay, great, you know. These shepherds, for the rest of their life, wanted to talk about this. But probably not in a way, you know, I was there. No, I was there. And they have to stop and catch themselves because they can't go on. And they say, uh, I was there. I just want to tell you, it's real. It's true. And they probably couldn't get much more than that out, right? This is how powerful this is. This is how profound it is. The holiness of God. The goodness of God. It overwhelms us emotionally. It baffles us intellectually. It changes the way we look at things socially. Do you know that last word, that last verse in O Holy Night? In 1865, an American, having heard the original version, was so moved by it, in the middle of the Civil War, he translated the song into, into English and added that line. The slave is our brother. That was an American addition to that powerful song. 20 years after it was written, it's all of a sudden now being moved into high-end social impact. It makes you wince to sing that, that line, doesn't it? It moves you deeply on, on Christmas Eve to hear this, this beautiful woman and with her powerfully beautiful voice, Deneen, singing, The Slave is Our Brother, and you are just moved. You're moved. That's the social impact of the gospel. The gospel always has a social impact. And what it does in that social impact is never compromises or dilutes the, the word of God. What it does is it points back to the righteousness and the holiness of God. If you ever come if, are around somebody who's telling you they have a great social impact and out of, motivated by Jesus, and it doesn't look or sound like Jesus, you, may, you might want to ask them, what's the point of the social impact? It doesn't seem to honor and glorify God or point back to him. It looks like a human accommodation 
And if we go with a human accommodation and distort and dilute holiness, we rob people of their birthright. We push them back into the poverty, the spiritual poverty, from which Jesus is redeeming us. The darkness, the bleakness. It was a bleak setting, and the brilliant surprise is that there's good news, because God is a good God. His goodness extends to all. It came out of the sky, but it did not come out of the blue. This had been long um, anticipated because of the prophets. Think of the generations of people who had hoped and prayed for this moment. The Lord had promised to administer love, righteousness, mercy, and grace to redeem us. So let me just pause for a second and just remind you if, you don't, if you've forgotten or tell you if you don't really know what biblical prophecy looks like. Prophecy can be interpreted and fulfilled immediately or progressively. There's often an immediate, ah, oh, that's what's going on here. Isaiah gave all kinds of prophetic words to Israel that were helpful. Some of his prophetic words were not revealed, not fulfilled until much later. This is the aha moment that the disciples of Jesus had. They are now reading the Tanakh with a new set of eyes and understanding, oh, that's what that meant. Isaiah was saying this, but this is, what it's, this is where it was actually going. It's, it's that experience of when you're going toward mountains, and you think, I think we're there. And it, much to your chagrin if you're walking as a backpacker, and you get to that ridge, you go, this is the high point where finally, oh my gosh, there's more ridges. It just keeps going. There's another valley and another, you know. And you look at the map, you go, oh, the map is right. I love to lapse into wishful thinking, but this is not what the map is telling me. So it can be fulfilled immediately or progressively, and usually both. Uh, the Latin, fancy Latin phrase is the sensus plenior, the fuller meaning. The fuller meaning. That's why if you have a dream like Joseph did, live with it, sit with it, respond to the obvious first thing, but then know that it's going to, probably more of this message is going to happen, right? It's like with your kids, you don't answer every question they have fully, because if you make it sound fully and they're eight, by the time they're 13, they go, you exhausted that question and it didn't really make sense. It, it was a perfect question for an eight-year-old, but 13, I'm not buying it. What we want to do is not to try to resolve everything with our kids or grandkids. You want to give them the answer that that's, that's they can handle right now and, and let them know there's more to come. And this is what the prophets were doing. This is the word of the Lord, and there's more to come. Stay tuned, pay attention. This conversation goes somewhere. And so prophecy proclaims God's will, it glorifies God, it demonstrates His sovereignty. It, prophecy is never an SOS from God going, hey, help me here. It's, I'm here to help. Here's what we're going to do. So prophecy informs us of God's will and His plans and instructs us in cooperating with Him. Now, obviously, God could just tell us Himself, but prophecy typically comes through people who are called prophets. Now, this poses a problem because we know people can game stuff, right? Trust but verify. There's good statistics and bad statistics. The nothing changes in the numbers. It's how the numbers are represented and presented. Though this weekend, by the way, I did create cold fusion in a jar, and I'd like to tell everybody about it after I get it in Nature magazine. Trust me. So the, the problem with Israel had that they had was, oh, there's authentic prophets and there's false prophets. And we see in the Old Testament how they handled that. I won't go into all that. But it was very clear that at some point, false prophets were revealed. Usually the message that was the hardest message was from the real prophets. The false prophets told everybody in exile, that, that first round of exile, you're going home in a couple of days, don't even unpack. God told Jeremiah to tell the people, ah, yes, you'll be here for a generation. Build houses, plant gardens, raise up families, and get ready to be God's people here so that you'll be ready to return as God's people there. The false prophets versus the, the true prophets. 
So essentially, prophecy helps us understand and value what we would otherwise miss. So we see this. It's a difference between saying, go see the cute baby. A baby was just born in Bethlehem, the cutest little thing. Go see the cute baby. No, go see the baby. To you, a savior has been born. Like, what? You know, if you're out there guarding the sheep and your job is to protect the sheep because they're a livelihood, and somebody says, hey, a baby was born, you got to go check it out, they'd be like, this baby's born all the time. No, 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 this is the Messiah. <laughs> this is, and all of a sudden you go, oh, I would have just seen a baby. Now I see what this baby is. The wise men come later, up to, up to a year or two later, presenting gifts. They're seeing a baby, but they know what they've come to do. Honor a king, honor a priest, honor a savior. So Matthew, uh, again, uh, and, uh, shows us how the early church saw prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. Matthew, quoting Isaiah 7.14, says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Um, the, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Matthew goes on to say, Then all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. All right, interesting. What's the point of it? Well, the point of it is that this is a special baby. It's not just any baby. It's a unique baby. Now, this is why the pushback on the, on the virgin birth is such a big deal for people. First of all, they find it offensive as a naive pre-scientific Christian myth that insults our understanding of human sexuality. Missing the entire point. Is the virgin birth a naive pre-scientific Christian myth that insults our, our understanding of human sexuality? Or is it something that God is telling us is unique and we should pay attention? I love the way C.S. Lewis resolved this. He made this wry observation in a book called Miracles. And he says, if the virgin birth is an insult to human sexuality, then the feeding of the 5,000 is an insult to bakers. There's something going on here foretold by the prophets and being fulfilled in the presence of these people. Go see the baby. To you, a Savior has been born. And so Jesus' conception by God is a new Adam. A second Adam. What Adam didn't get right, Jesus does. And so this, this, that, that beautiful genealogy you see both in, the, in uh, Matthew and in Luke, uh, giving us a sense that, wow, this is really truly a baby conceived by God, but through the line of David. A new Adam, perfectly sinless, fully human, fully divine, sinless. Tempted as we were, but without sin, is the way the writer of Hebrews says it. And so we see um, the continuity. We mentioned this, uh, I think, last week. Genesis 49.10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Oh, my gosh. A prophetic word from Jacob to his sons with a fulfillment in Christ. Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, a fulfillment spoken in real time to real people and fulfilled ultimately in Christ. But to you, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, just Bethlehem, Ephrathah, just that's the name, the formal name of Bethlehem. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, it's the city of David, right? Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That's Micah speaking, and this is fulfilled in Jesus. So do these fulfilled prophecies prove that Jesus is the Messiah? No, they do not prove that Jesus is the Messiah. They are signs pointing. That's why the revelation from the angel, this shall be a sign to you. Anytime you've been on a road trip and you see a sign saying, go there, did that prove that that there is there? No. If you're driving along, it says Bakersfield, 40 miles, 
First of all, I say, why were you going to Bakersfield? Sorry, Kathy, I take that back. The Central Valley, the greatest place on the planet. Drive down 99 and you are in heaven. If you want great Basque food, you'll stop in Bakersfield while you're listening to country music, Buck Owens. But the science says Bakersfield, 40 miles. And you think, hey, did that prove it's... No, but it's a sign. Let's see where the sign leads us. Oh my gosh, we got to Bakersfield. The big thing that says Bakersfield. This is what's going on here. And so these prophecies are examples and reasons to believe in God because He is holy and good. His holiness and goodness is forever. Evil isn't. The evil we are up to our eyeballs in in this world is so overwhelming to us, it just wears us out and, and drives us down. It's not forever. God's holiness and goodness is. That's what the advent of Jesus tells us. And so we get to, like Mary, treasure and ponder this in our hearts. Better yet, best of all, we participate in it. We, get to, we are included in it. And we can learn to live in the holiness and the goodness of the Lord. I'm not always holy, I'm not always good, but I'm learning to live in the holiness and the goodness of the Lord. Everybody can. Charles White talking to his high school boys. He's saying, I've learned to live in the holiness and the goodness of the Lord. You guys right now are aspiring football players. Many of you want to go to USC. Many of you would like to think you might win a Heisman Trophy. I can tell you, all good, not enough. It's just not enough. It's good as far as it can take you, but it can't take you where you need to go. So right now, we have an active part bringing God's holiness and goodness wherever we go. Bearing witness to it, a sign. Yeah, you're not much proof. I am not the proof. I'm the sign. And so in Jesus Christ, we're saved. We become part of God's story to save the world. Romans 15, 13 says it this way. The God of hope fills you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, a sign saying this is where it's taking you. This is where it's going. It's worth the trip. It's worth the effort. It's worth the arduous nature of the journey. As you trust in God, you will have love, joy, hope, and peace. Let go of your glory for His. As God's glory shines into our life, we will, we will love as God loves, we'll live as God intends, and we can stop resenting other people for their sins or for their blessings. They might stop for just a second. You might think, that's a weird thing. What do you mean? Resenting, you know, resenting people for their sins or for their blessings. We can resent people for their sins. There's some, I, I, you know, I'm, I have, and I, I am experiencing some things from people that I would say are sinful, not, not well intended. I could resent that, or I can say, you know, this is all going to sort itself out. I can see people who are incredibly blessed and say, wow, I'd like to be blessed like that. Why resent either one? God will deal with us in our sin. <laughs> God will deal with us in our prosperity. The craziness of that, of resenting someone else's sins or resenting their blessings, is like answering somebody else's phone. That's a bad idea. Some guys were in a gym, and, and somebody left their cell phone on a bench, and the phone rang. And one of the guys picked it up and said, hello? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, sounds like a good idea. Oh, yeah, do that. Definitely do that. No, I think it's fine. Sure, of course. I'm all for that. Okay. Is that your phone? No. Who was it? I think it was the guy who owns the phone's wife. What was she saying? Well, she said she wanted to get a new car and felt like she needed a new wardrobe and wanted to make a book trip, a book, a trip to Hawaii and stay in the best hotel and wanted to do a bit of a makeover. And they're all going... It's because all I heard him say was, sure, yeah, great, sounds like you're ready, yeah, go do that. Don't answer somebody else's phone, whether it's about their sin or their blessing. God is calling you. <laughs> Pick up the line and talk to him personally about you. Where are, <laughs> what, what, what's going on in your life and your sin 
your resistance, your hard-heartedness, whatever, your closed-mindedness, what's happening with you in terms of blessing that you're maybe feeling a little bit possessive of, not sharing the wealth, so to speak? It would be weird if you answered someone else's phone. Answer yours. God is calling, has great news to share with you about you. Here's the message. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for you and everybody else. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. Don't miss him. That's the good news that makes for a merry Christmas. So believe it, embrace it, celebrate it. It's a gift. For you. So Lord Jesus, help us to receive this gift, to value it wisely and properly, to understand that it's the fulfillment of something long in process, motivated out of your holiness and your goodness, expressed in your love, your grace, your mercy, your compassion, your truth. Uh, thank you for speaking into our hearts. Help us to be caught up in that oh holy night moment in this season especially having lain long in sin and error, pining, you've come to deliver us. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the one who saves. Thank you and praise you in your holy name. Amen. Well, this is a time of offering, and that means we're giving ourselves to God. If you want to contribute financially to the church, you can do that through the mail. The U.S. government will deliver it on your behalf to us. You can put it in that offering box. But right now, this offering is about you opening your heart and your mind to the Lord. What have you heard sung today, prayed today, that beautiful prayer from Laura? What have you heard in the Word of God? Let that be a response from you as an offering back to God.
Thank you. Oh, my. Yeah. As they say in Israel, Boker Tov, good morning. You know, it just wakes you up, doesn't it? I love this music. Thank you. I love the season for the music. Why? Because the music conveys a profound message that God is holy and good and welcomes us into his presence as his beloved children. If we can pray for you about anything that concerns you or concerns something that you're concerned about, go right out around the corner. There's a lovely prayer garden there. and People there will say, can we pray for you? How can we pray for you? And if you don't want to tell them, just say, I don't know, just pray for me. Or if you can tell them, tell them and they'll probably put a hand on you and pray for you. Uh, it's a great gift to be prayed for. If you are hungry or thirsty, go out and have something to eat and drink. Um, say hello to people you haven't seen before. And like I say, those people you think after 50 times of seeing them, you should know their name by now. Just get over it and say, you know what? Um, my bad. I don't know your name. Um, say hi to them. Next week, Christmas Eve. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can imagine give you everything you need to know him by faith through his grace one day at a time, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.